0: Preach through Romans, they said. It'll be fun, they said. (laughs) So life seems to sometimes have more questions than answers. Is that just me? Like it feels like there's questions that just don't have answers. I mean, like why is the word abbreviation so long? Shouldn't that that be a lot shorter? Like why? Why in the world is that word so long? Uh, What's the where's the line where it stops being partly sunny and starts being partly cloudy? Where's the line? I don't even think Pete Delkus can tell us that, right? Like that's, what's the difference? Um, what's another word for thesaurus? Shouldn't that have another word? Shouldn't that have a synonym? I mean, it feels like it. Um, the stairs go up or down. It's hard to tell sometimes which way they're really going. If you try to fail at something and you pull it off, didn't you just succeed? There's a lot of questions that don't seem to have answers, but here's the, here's the deal. The Bible answers life's biggest questions. The, the Bible, God gave us this, his word, and it answers the biggest questions. Who, why am I, how did I get here? Why am I here? What, what's the purpose of this? What's the meaning of life? The Bible answers the biggest questions that we have. And here's one question that the Bible answers. It's a big question, and it's this. What has gone wrong? Like, why, why is this so messed up? Why, why does this feel like... This is not the way it's supposed to be. What, what's the problem? What, what has been broken that has made this mess of the world that we live in? I mean, you look around, and that's the feeling, right? Like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is something's wrong. And the Bible answers that question. What's wrong? What's gone wrong in the world? That's, that's, that's a biblical truth that we can go to the Bible and get the answer for. And in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is giving us an answer to that question he's telling us what's gone wrong and today like all the time really but today especially we want to make sure we don't miss the forest for the trees uh, we'll, we'll go into the trees but the trees today are a little bit awkward and uncomfortable if we're honest but the, so that make sure we get the forest, because here's what Paul is doing he's he's unpacking the idea of here's what's gone wrong and here's what's wrong in the world And really, if you look at chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's not just telling us that we've made the mess of this, that we've messed it up so that we'll feel bad. He's pointing us to a solution. He's pointing us to the only solution. So one way to say the big picture here in Romans, this first section of Romans, is that our unrighteousness makes our need for the gospel clear. Our unrighteousness, which... Paul is saying, man, it's it's so clear. It's all around us. We see it all around us. Our unrighteousness is making the need for the gospel really, really clear. It's the bad news before the good news. You need to understand the bad news so you'll really embrace the good news. And so that's what Paul is doing. He's he's kind of unpacking that truth that hey, hey, we're unrighteous people. We've we've gone astray. We've wandered away from God. We've rejected him, and it's caused all the mess that we see. And specifically in this section, he, he kind of points to a couple things. One is that we suppress the truth. That that phrase suppress the truth. It means that we've rejected God as creator. We've rejected who He is as, as the creator, as the creator, and we've rejected His design for the world. If He created it, He has a plan for it, a purpose for it, a design for how the world's supposed to operate. And and we've suppressed that truth. We've rejected that truth. We've walked away from that. And, and I mean, if you want to start understanding pro- problems in the world, when you see. Things that, like, just common sense would say, no, that's not right, that's wrong. And people are saying, no, that's right, that's the right thing to do. Like, that's what you go back to. Hey, we're living in a culture that we've suppressed the truth. We've rejected God. We've rejected what he has to say. We've rejected his design for the world. And so Paul says, hey, that's, that's led to all these problems. That's led to all this mess of suppress, suppression of the truth, rejection of the truth. And then he starts talking about this series of unfortunate exchanges that we've made. We keep trading down. We keep trading uh, the, the greatness of God for other things, and, and, and that's led to all these problems. And the, the, to me, the key one there is that we exchange the truth about God for a lie, that we've we 've taken the truth about God and we 've traded it in for a lie, and that lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the, and the fruit and the serpent and the serpent basically says God is withholding something good from you by not letting you eat that, tr- that fruit he 's keeping something that good from you, and so you need to go ahead and do what you want. you need to eat the fruit, look and see that it 's good and eat it and that lie is still going on, and the problem in the world, like the, the big picture answer to this question what 's the problem is that we are all still trading the truth about God for a lie. We're all still chasing after the lie. We've decided that we should live according to our agenda and our plan. So what we've done is we've rejected God's accountability for our autonomy. I don't want God to tell me what to do. I'm going to live the way I want to live, and I'm, and I'm going to be in control, and I'm going to be what's, what matters. I'm going to make it all about myself, and I'm going to pursue whatever I want. And the lie is that we think that walking away from God, we're going to find what we're really looking for. That's the, that's the great lie. God says hey, he's the only one that can bring us meaning and purpose and satisfaction and joy and everything we're really looking for. But the lie that we trade that for is to say that, no, I think if I walk away from God and his plan for my life, I'll find what I'm really looking for over here. And, and, and it doesn't work, but that's the lie that we've traded, uh, traded for. And, and what Paul is saying is, hey, that's, that's the problem for all of us. We're all in this mess because we've all suppressed the truth. We've rejected it. We've walked away from it. We traded the truth of God and his greatness and the fact that he's the only one that can give us what we're looking for for a lie that says we can find it somewhere apart from him. And he says, that's what's wrong in the world. That, that we're, we've made ourselves the idols. We've made our life and our desires and our plans Ultimate. And that's caused all these problems. And so Paul's making that, like that's the force, that's the big picture of this this argument that he's making in chapter one, and then he's gonna make it more in chapter two, and he's gonna basically bring us all into this in chapter three and say, there's no one good, there's no one righteous, no one seeks God, we're all without excuse, so that he can point us to the fact that we need a savior, we need a rescuer. So don't lose the force now that we're gonna move into the trees, because what he's gonna do is he's gonna give one example one like stark, striking example of where this leads us. And the example he uses is homosexuality. And he says, hey, when you suppress the truth and you reject God as creator, and when you walk away from that truth, you exchange the truth of God for a lie that it's all about you, it can lead to all kinds of problems. And here's one really, really clear example of that. And so we're going we're gonna to walk into that. Why? Because like, we, we need to speak about these things in the church. We need truth. In a culture that's saying all this different kind of stuff about that, we need like, the church to say, here's what the Bible says about that. We need that. If the church isn't speaking about that, if we're not pointing people to the Bible about that, then where are we going to find the truth? Where are we going to find our information about this particular problem or any problem in our culture? Because if we don't, if the church isn't doing it, I think we're going to end up finding our truth on TikTok. That's, that's never going to be a good place. So, what, so we got to speak about it. But we also have to understand um, the Bible is not a book about homosexuality. It's not, hey, here's a a book that tells us all things that are bad, right? The Bible's not a book about that, but it it does say some things about that. The the letter that Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, Romans, is not a letter about that, but in that letter he says some things about that. So we want to Walk into the trees of that understanding that the Bible is not about those things. The Bible's about God, what He's done, who He is and what He's done. And when we see who God is and what He's done, it shows us how we should respond to that, how we should live our lives and respond to that. But it's not just living, it's also thinking. That sometimes what we see in the Bible is we see here's who God is, here's what He's done, and here's how we should think biblically with a Christian worldview in the context of who God is and what he's done. And so, so sometimes you go to a sermon and you're like, okay, what do I need to do with this? How do I need to respond to this? What's the application, right? And we'll get there. If you will buckle up and stay with us the whole time, all you guys stay awake the whole time, we'll get to some application at the end. But, but primarily sometimes you look at a text and you're like okay oh, this is helping me form a christian worldview this is helping me think correctly about the world and, the, and a lot of this will be that as we walk into the trees and so here's here's the foundational statement that we need to grab a hold of so in case you're wondering where's it going to go with us here's where we're going to go the bible clearly teaches that homosexuality is sin just to get it at, get out here's what the bible clearly teaches that the practice of homosexuality is sin, the practice of. like, I, I think it's important that we understand that when the Bible talks about this, it talks about it as a verb, as something that you do, an act, a sinful act. That's what the Bible talks about. It doesn't talk about it like a, a, as an identity. The Bible gives no airtime to the concept of this being your identity or who you are, how you were made. Like The Bible doesn't talk about that. It always talks about it as a sin, somebody does, as an action. And so this is the truth. The Bible clearly teaches that that practice is sin. Um, this this week, uh, I was finding resources and and, and discovering new resources. And found found so many helpful things. And this one book um, that I want to recommend to you. If you if you're like, I want to I want to go deeper in understanding this, so I can respond biblically in my culture, build this Christian worldview on this topic. This book is "God Anti Gay" by Sam Alberry. It, it's great, Sam. Uh, as a pastor and a Christian now, but he came out of that background. Same-sex attraction was his struggle, and God has like, brought him out of that through the gospel, and now he speaks into that with biblical truth. Here's what he says. In each instance where the Bible directly addresses homosexual behavior, it is to condemn it. Every time it talks about it. The consistent teaching of the Bible is clear. God forbids homosexual activity. Given what the Bible says about God's purpose of sex and marriage, this should not be a surprise to us. Why? Because God created us with a particular design. So it shouldn't be a surprise. But every time you see it in the Bible, it's condemning. It's, sin, it's a sin. It's, it's pointing to that truth. And, and that's important in the midst of the culture we're in today because you have traditionalists, and that's what, that's what I'm, we are they say, hey, here's what the Bible says, and we're not going to try to change that. We're going to believe what the Bible says. But now in our culture today, we have revisionists, and revisionists have come along and they've said, well, that's not what that really means. That's not what Paul was really talking about. That's not the right context. And what they're trying to do is to try to figure out a way and figure out a loophole, loophole to say that that's not what the Bible is really saying. The revisionists have all this plan. And, and let me be honest, like hermeneutics is, the, is how you study the Bible. Is a fancy word for that. In order to get to the conclusion that that's not what Paul meant and that's not what the Bible really meant, you have to do some hermeneutical gymnastics and you're going to have to stretch for a while, all Right? You can't get there. In fact, I want to show you this quote. This is a guy named Luke Johnson. He wrote a book called Homosexuality in the Church. And I'm not recommending the book because it's not from a biblical Christian worldview. He's trying to make the case that it's fine, that God is okay with it. But look at what he says. I think it's important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture. We reject the straight forward commands of scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good so i don't want you to miss what he's saying hey we know the scripture says it's wrong and we reject that and we find another authority to say that it's good What is that authority? That's the question he says. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation, identity, is in fact to accept the way in which God has created us. By so doing, we explicitly reject as well the premises of the scriptural statements condemning homosexuality. At least he's honest. So you can't make the Bible say it's not. It says the Bible's really clear. It prohibits it. And he says, but we reject that. Why? Because we found a different authority that we're going to live by. And that authority, he says, is his experience. And let me just make sure we're all on the same page here. If you decide that your experience weighs more than what the scripture says, you're, off the wrong, you're on the wrong path. And I'm not talking about just this topic talk. I'm talking about any topic if you decide how you feel and how, what you've experienced is gonna, you're going to give that more weight than the truth of scripture you've walked on a path that is not going in the place that you want it to go and so that's for, that's for any situation if, you, if you've elevated your experience and your feelings and our feelings lie to us all the time if you've elevated that over scripture you, you're headed in the wrong direction you turn around but specifically, like, I think that's really helpful for this topic because, guys, like, we're, we're in this culture where you know somebody, right? That you, you, you care about somebody that is struggling with this particular thing. And, and what's, what's happening is this temptation to elevate our experience and our feelings over the truth of God's word. And it's like Paul's giving us this warning, like, hey, we, we need to make sure that we're holding true to God's word. Here is what God says about it. Here's what the Bible says. It's a sin. And so we've got to hold true to God's Word. We've got to stand on the truth of God's Word. We can't let our feelings and our experiences get in the way or become greater than what God says in His Word. So the Bible clearly teaches that it's sin. And then in verses 26 and 27, Paul's going to start talking very specifically about this. And the first thing that seems like he says is that homosexual sin is unnatural. Verse 26 and 27, look at it. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty of their error. So he says it's unnatural. What does that mean? It means it's against creation it's a suppressing of the truth it's it's going against how god created us it's not natural because god created us in a, with a natural law and a natural order and, and what he did specifically is he created the whole world he spoke it into existence and then he he, he creates all the animals and then he creates man and he sees that it's not good because man's alone and so then he creates a woman as the perfect complement to the man the perfect partner for the woman for the man that they're supposed to complement each other supposed to partner together, Suppose they fit together, like all the things, like that's what he's doing. And he's made this with his purpose and his design. And then he says that the man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's, that's marriage, that God created that for a man and a woman in marriage. That's the biblical truth of his creative design for this. That's what he's done. And then he gives them a responsibility. Be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth, cultivate the earth, do your work like take care of the earth and and fill it with people and so this this sin here that he's talking about homosexual sin is a rejection of that this is god's plan this is this is his purpose this is what he's created and to reject that that's that's unnatural that's what he's talking about that's what he means by that and some some would say okay well but that's, that's 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 just who i am right like that's how i feel that's i've always felt this way i can't change how i feel i can't change who i am and the Bible speaks to that too. Even in this passage, Paul says he gave them over to a debased mind. He's basically is saying that sin has corrupted everything. Sin touches everything. Sin stains everything. It, it, it's not just what we do. It's even how we think. It's in our desires. It's in our mindset. It's our, it's our thought process. Sin has corrupted everything so that we can't even think correctly apart from Christ which is why Paul's going to say towards the end of Romans hey we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because we need a new way to think because of the gospel Douglas Moo said it this way in his commentary on this section he said we should emphasize that the fall into sin affects not just our affections and our actions but our thinking as well Human beings now have minds that are incapable of consistently thinking about divine things in an accurate way. So why do you feel this way? Why do you have this desire? Well, because sin has stained us all. We're all in it. And it's corrupted even our thinking. So it's unnatural. The second thing he seems to say in this section is that homosexual sin is an expression of God's judgment. I don't want you to miss this. What he's saying here is that we've made humans, mankind, have made a series of unfortunate exchanges. And every time we've we've picked the wrong thing, God turns us over to that. And that turning us over is an expression of his judgment. So we've exchanged the glory of God and we've worshiped idols. And God saw that and he turned us over to pursue that. It's like God is saying, hey, you want a a world without me? I'll let you experience that. I'm going to let you taste that. I'm going to let you see what that's like. He turns us over. It's a part of his judgment. We exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship created things in the creation instead of the creator. And God turns us over, judgment, turn, like, okay, you can have that. You won't, you won't like it, but you can have it. It's going to cause all these problems, but I'm going to turn you over. We exchange natural relations sexually for unnatural relations, and God turns us over to a debased mind. To, we can't even think correctly. We, the, the whole problem that we're talking about, the problems in the world, it's because God has turned us over because we keep t- trading down and choosing the wrong thing. And that's that's a picture of his judgment that we think of judgment as the final judgment we all know that there's a final you know once and for all judgment at the end coming but the bible talks about judgment being seen and experienced in the way the world is like playing out the, the problems and the difficulties and the challenges and the sin and the unrighteousness and god turning us over to that is a picture of his judgment so i hope that helps make sense We're like why is this all so well no, because we're under his judgment. It's, it's also a, a, a part of his discipline. God turns us over and lets us chase after those things because he knows those are dead ends. Like that will, I, I think I'm going to trade the truth about God for a lie and I'm going to go find my satisfaction in this and I chase after that and I get to the end and I'm like, whoa, this is not, this is not giving me what I wanted. And so it's, it's a judgment and a discipline. Discipline to, you get to the end and you go, I need to turn back to him. I need to repent from this and turn back to him. That's, that's a part of this process. And so it's an expression of God's judgment. Douglas Moo, he, here's, here's what he says about that. God responds to people's decision to exchange the true God for idols by condemning people to the consequences of the sin they have chosen for themselves. This giving people over is not an entirely passive matter, as if, as one commentator puts it, God simply ceases to hold the boat as it's dragged by the current of the river. Rather, we should view this action as a positive, judicial decision on God's part, whereby he sentences people to the very sins that they have chosen for themselves. You see it? That, that problem, or that, all the problems in our culture, it's a it's an expression of God's judgment turning us over to that sin and the consequences of it. Now, don't miss this next one. Homosexual sin is serious, but it isn't alone. It, it's serious because Paul uses it as kind of the prime example for what it looks like when we totally walk away from God and make ourselves the center of everything. It's, it's like, here's, the, here's where this ends, and it's not pretty, right? He shows that. But it's not unique. What I mean by that, it's not like this is some different category of sin. <laughs> no, he's just using that as an example of all the sin. That we've all suppressed the truth. We're all in this boat together. We've all rejected God. We've all turned away from him. We've all chosen the lie instead of God. And that's created all this unrighteousness and this world of trouble and problems. Like, we've all done this. And so he's saying, hey, yes, it's serious. It should be taken seriously and we should think biblically about about it. But it's not alone. It's not unique. And God's grace is sufficient. if If you look at what Jesus said... I think you can make the case that all of us, maybe most everybody in this room, is guilty of sexual sin. Jesus was raising the bar. He says, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He's raising the bar on righteousness. And according to what Jesus says, almost everybody in here is probably guilty In some way of sexual sin and that's that's the point of this is not Paul saying let's point fingers at this one group of people he's saying hey let's remember that this unrighteousness is rampant and we need help and so it's serious but it's not alone I I think that's why right after that like in verse 28 you know God gave them over to a debased mind in verse 29 he starts listing all these other sins it's quite a list I mean, all these things, he's, he's trying to remind us, like, we're all in this together, we all are unrighteous, it's rampant, we need help, we need a rescue, and so there's this huge list of sins, I, 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 this will help us all feel the weight of this, I'm just going to read them, you raise your hand when I get to yours, okay? <laughs> okay, maybe heads bowed, eyes closed, all Right? we'll do that, you don't want me to do that, do you? But let me go ahead and tell you, that there's one in here, disobedient to parents, Youth group, you're not raising your hand. (laughs) Disobedient to your parents is in this list of horrible things. It's right there. Because What is he saying? All sin is sin. It's all serious. It all creates a wedge. Like we, we are without God and without hope in the world apart from Christ. Like sin should be taken seriously. And he says when we reject, suppress the truth, when we reject God and we walk away from him, this is where we end up. And this leads to the last point about this particular sin. Homosexual sin is not inescapable. This is not the unforgivable sin. It's, it's a sin like all the others. And his grace is more than sufficient to rescue us from it and forgive us from it. It's, 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 it's not inescapable. One of the best things for me this week was finding books and articles and blogs by amazing people that that was their story. They were in a homosexual lifestyle or same-sex attraction, and then God brought them out of it by the power of the gospel. Now they're on, on, on the side speaking truth into that. I mean, that, that, that's been so encouraging. Like the, Sam Albury and Rosaria Butterfield, which, by the way, is not the syrup lady. Um, but like all these people, like they have these amazing stories of how God is redeemed and restored and delivered and rescued. And it's not inescapable. Don't miss, I want you to see this. It's so great. 1 Corinthians 6. This will be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there, but you can. But you can write it down and look at it later. 1 Corinthians 6 is one of the other places in the Bible. There's not a whole bunch of them, but there's another place in the Bible where Paul's going to talk about homosexual sin in the context of unrighteousness. And here's what he says in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a big statement. Unrighteous people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. We're all unrighteous. Do not be deceived. Then he gets specific. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's like, hey, all this unrighteousness, you're all in this, we've all done these things, like we're all in this together. And he he gives this list and talks about specific things that they might have struggled with in the past. And then he says this in verse 11, don't miss this. He says, and such were some of you. He doesn't say, and some of you were the drunkards, but not those others. He just says, hey, all this list, some of you, that's your story. But it's not the end of the story because he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It's not inescapable. I mean, it's, it seems to me that I think we can conclude that in the early church, in the New Testament church, and man, we always want to be that, right? We want to go back to the New Testament church. But in the New Testament church, there were people from a homosexual background that God had rescued because of the gospel, and they were part of the church. It's, it's, it's not inescapable. There's hope for all of us. There's grace more than enough for all of us and all of our sin, no matter what it is on the list. So, I, I hope that that helps us think correctly. But I know you want to know what we do with it. And so, let, let me give you two things I think all of us can do in response to this truth. Here's the first one. Let's submit all of our desires to the Lordship of Jesus. Let's submit all our desires to his authority and his lordship, whatever it is. If you came to me and you said, hey, my struggle is that. My struggle is same-sex attraction. I've been dealing with this. I've been struggling with this. It feels like who I am. Here's what I would say in response to that. Jesus said if you want to follow him, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that would be my answer for someone struggling with this struggle and someone struggling for any struggle. My desire is I want to do this. And I feel like I want to do this. And I'm tempted to do this. And I know that may, may not be what God wants me to do, but I really, really want to do it. And the Bible says if you want to follow Jesus, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you die to yourself, and you follow him. And so what, I have desires that are not God's best for me all the time. I, I think incorrectly all the time. I want to do something, or I want to try something, or I want to experience, like what, what? And I submit my desires to the lordship of Jesus. By his power, by his help, I can't do that on my own, but because of the gospel, I submit those things. I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. That's the way of Jesus. That's one. And the second one is this. Let's love everyone like Jesus loves us without affirming sin. It's a big one. Let's let's love everyone. Because and how Jesus loved us, but thus don't affirm sin. This is a place where the church is. I'm not sure if we're getting it, but we got to figure that out. What does what does that look like? Because that's what Jesus did. Like one of the biggest complaints about Jesus was he kept hanging out with bad people. And Jesus keeps hanging out with those tax collectors and those sinners and prostitutes, like the worst. He's hanging out with the worst people. Why? Because he loved them, because he came for the sick, not those who think that they're okay, to rescue them. So Jesus loves, but he doesn't affirm. There's that story, right? Like, They found this lady. They caught her in sexual sin. She's caught in the sin of adultery, and they bring her before Jesus. Somehow the guy was fast, right? He ran away or something. Where did he go? But they bring the woman. They put her in front of Jesus, and they're like, hey, we caught her in adultery. The law says we should stone her to death right now. What do you say? And Jesus says, stone her. Who who wants to go first? I got an idea. Whoever doesn't have any sin, you throw the first stone. By backs out of that conversation, drops their stones and leaves. And the lady looks up and Jesus says, hey, who's condemning you? She says, I guess no one. He said, me neither. Go and sin no more. Loved her without affirming her sin. Like loved her and said, go and sin no more. This is what Jesus does. My fear when I approach this text is that somehow We're going to weaponize this text so we can go fight. Because man, we we are really good at carrying around a bag of rocks. I got my rocks. I'm ready to throw them at some people. Now I got some text to prove. I got I got biblical truth. I'm going to throw some rocks. That's a bad ditch to be in. We've been over there for too long. On the other side, there's another ditch. And it's basically this ditch of saying, "Oh, yeah, you know what, that's no big deal, it's fine, let's just affirm, whatever you want to do is fine. I don't know if you noticed that warning in verse 32, he says, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die or deserve judgment, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them, which seems like he's saying that it's just as bad to approve of that sin as it is to do that sin. But we can't be over here either. Doesn't matter what the culture says, doesn't matter what other denominations are doing, other churches are doing, doesn't matter, like we can't be over here affirming it. We've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out what it looks like to love people like Jesus loved us, to welcome people. Doesn't matter what their background is, doesn't matter what their baggage is, doesn't matter what their sin is. We've got to figure out how do we welcome and love everyone because Jesus welcomed and loved us while we're also standing on this truth. As God's truth for all time without compromise. And I don't have all those answers. I hope you didn't expect it. But I did put it as a, as a, as a question in your discussion for community groups this week. Like, how, what does that look like in 2024? What does it look like to love others, welcome others, no matter what they're doing? But stand firm on the truth of God's word. That's the calling that he's put in front of us a calling I hope that we will accept let's pray God thanks for the truth of your word and we'll thank you for it even when it's uncomfortable and God I want I pray that you'll help us to trust you and your word and I pray you'll help us to believe your word and I pray you'll help us with our unbelief because we all struggle And so convince us, God, of of your goodness and your truth. And then help us, God, to embrace or encounter our culture in a way that we show that we love like Jesus loved us. While we stand firm on the truth of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us do that for the glory of your name, for the gospel. And in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.